When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Outkick 360 is back alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. Lance Lee is with us along with Jacob Swanson. David Reed, the chairman of the board. John McClain joins the show. That's coming up in 15 minutes, the latest NFL headlines. And he will tell us his prediction on the most surprising first-round pick, which will take place one week from tonight across the NFL. Excited for that. Big show today. Tennessee Power Hour in an hour from now. Gentlemen, good morning. So Paul has the big sign off with the don't block the box, do lock the locks. I keep thinking of like some sort of physical sign in every day. Yesterday I kind of tried out this triumphant yeah, thing. I don't think you mentioned raising the roof today. How'd that and go? Well, Paul said raising the roof and the what, I, what I did roof. today was I froze. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had nothing. I was going to do some sort of well, gesture, been nervous a nod the to the camera or something. It's been yeah. very nerve-wracking to open the show lately, but I, I just froze. I had nothing, Paul. I like to point. Uh, I, I don't want an official start because I want flexibility, but I like to point at Swansea and Lee. I like the idea of pointing to all the cameras, Swansea too, like, like you're turning them on, yeah. you know, like you're, you're gesturing for them all to come on at once. Do like some sort of shooting motion also. No. I, don't, I don't know exactly what to do. Yeah. Don't force it. No. It'll come to me. Maybe. I think, or maybe not. Is this a situation where we'll know? Yeah. Like You'll Lance know. Lance is going to look at me and just give That's me it. like the Mr. Miyagi yeah, yeah, smiling nod That's the whole it. time like Chad finally nailed it. I throw my shoe at Jacob to start the show every day. <laughs> and I just do the show because people comment on my shoes and how fantastic they are, which <laughs> That's they are. That's not what they say. Oh, they do. Um, but, yeah, I just throw a shoe at someone, uh, the George W. Bush style. Hey, one happen. of 162. It's just funny that the second Yankees-Braves game was exactly the opposite of the first. The Braves 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. So the Yankees oh. lost in the exact same fashion that they won the first game by doing absolutely, uh, absolutely handing the game away. The Braves didn't have to do anything to win it the same way the Yankees didn't have to do anything to win it. So I eat crow the same way I fed crow. Uh, just all, two awful games. I was mocking Chad for the way Atlanta handed it away, so I now mock myself for the way the Yankees handed it away. And they both suck. They both really suck. Braves will be fine. They're going to be fine. I, I don't think the Yankees are going to be fine. I don't know if the Yankees are going to be fine. I don't. The Braves, when they get their three starters back, are going to be a different team. Acuna not playing, it hurts them for those two games. Maybe back on Friday. Uh, but I just find it funny when you come in and you're like, oh, the Braves threw a wild pitch and a run game. Like, Your catcher can't catch. No. <laughs> you know at some point so you're going to lose a game I'm so done because with Gary of a pass Sanchez. ball. I'm so done with Gary Sanchez. And the Yankees are only missing one guy, Luke Voigt, who's another guy who can get in the lineup and not hit home runs. So we've got that to look forward to. Chad, uh, I don't know if you look forward to these games or not in Little League because of the frustration level. Your competitive nature does not coincide with Little League sports of any kind, I would imagine. I've never witnessed you on the field. And I don't see you as like a a yeller or anything, but I think the inner boiling of the competitive Chad Withrow last night, probably you, you had some frustration. So I'm a yeller with my own kid. Like, I'm not someone who's like, I'm not the parent that they're, you know, it's not like Bad News Bears where they're yeah, having to, like, call yeah. child services on me <laughs> the way I'm yelling. But I, I'll be more assertive with Evie and yell at her. Like, she last night, uh, balls hit back to the pitcher. She's playing first. She knows what to do, but she goes to first and starts looking back at home plate for the ball, and it's coming from the pitcher. So we're all yelling at her to turn to the pitcher because that's where the ball is coming from. And I had to go over there and say, Evie. Pay attention. This is later innings on a school night, so the girls, five- and six-year-olds, lose their concentration. So I'm having to explain that to her. My problem is I see exactly what should be happening when you watch enough sports or played sports, and it's such a frustrating thing when you're seeing it and it's just not being – 
It's not even the execution part. It's the attempt. Awareness. It's the attempt to know what to do. And I have to tell myself, these are five- and six-year-old <laughs> kids. They don't know the game, and we're trying to explain it to them. But it's also frustrating because I feel like the other team we've played the first two games, and Angie brought this up to me also, they've been more organized. I feel like they know a little bit more about what to do. It's, they're not that much better. You know, they're probably winning by a couple of runs in the end. But I just feel like there's this uh, disconnect where our team's not quite there yet. My, my goal is to get them there at some point, but any little league parent out there knows exactly the pain that I'm feeling. One point last night, best player on our team, little girl named Caroline. She's pitching, and balls hit back to her, and there's a situation where there's a runner stuck at third who's not running. The other team's coach is telling her to run home, and she's not, and the other girl is rounding second, coming for third. So me and Caroline's dad, Caroline's dad is over at third. I'm sort of in the outfield directing the field the whole time. I'm yelling at Caroline to go run and tag this girl while also watch the runner going home from third because she's about to go. She's deking him, right? So she's like stuck in the middle doing one of these. <laughs> Get this camera on right here so that I can show the audience. She's kind of, her dad's yelling at her. I'm yelling at her, Caroline, here, Caroline, there, here. And she's doing one of these the whole time, not knowing where to go. She eventually tags the girl running to third. And I turned to the coach. I said, did he tag her? And he says, yeah, she, he ba- she barely swiped her back. And I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking, well, we're counting outs in this league. She's going to the dugout because <laughs> he left her on third after she tagged her on that spot. But anyways, these are the frustrations that I have. See, there and, uh, I, would, I would be like, well, know, she's out. If he tagged her, she's out. We're I'm sure that some, someone out there down, listening, watching can probably. But in Caroline's great. She listens so well. I love Caroline. She's listening to both me and her dad. And she's kind of looking back and forth at both of us, not knowing exactly what to do, because it's one of those where you're frantic trying to explain what to do. And her a granddad came up to me afterward and said, Chad was trying to pull off the first ever double play in T-ball by getting Caroline. I saw exactly what you were trying to get her to do, but it wasn't quite registering with her where to go. Yeah, it's tough on these kids, too. You've got a lot of people yelling at them for different things. They're indecisive to start with. Then they hear one parent saying, tag that one, and the other parent saying, chase that one, and you freeze them. It's hard. By the way, I only tell Lance to put the camera on me because I know he hates it. It's one of those things where I love to direct Lance at least once a show. Lance, you put the the camera camera on on me me right right now. now. I love to do that because I can tell Lance hates it. You are not the boss of Lance. Oh, not at all. But I like to pretend to be at least once a day. You know what we love is FanDuel.com. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Uh, a great opportunity, 30 to 1 odds on either Usman or Masvidal to win this Saturday at UFC 261. 30 to 1 odds to win. This is not by submission, by knockout, just straight win. 30 to 1 odds. Max bet of $5. 30 to 1, $5 bet, $150. Uh, open until the fight starts on Saturday. So log on. You can get this offer by going to fanduel.com slash OK360. Usman's a, a four, minus 400 favorite, uh, and he won the previous fight, which was last year, uh, by a decision against Masvidal, who is uh, one of the, the more entertaining fighters in UFC. You can sign up fanduel.com slash OK360. You make an initial deposit of at least $10, and you're eligible for 30 to 1 odds on Usman or Masvidal for UFC 261 which, by the way, will have a packed house in Jacksonville. Uh, Dana White who, s- selling that out. Hutton, you're the fight guy here. Who is the favorite in that fight? That's Usman, Kamaru okay. Usman, who's the champ. It's a title fight, rematch. Uh, last, will you be watching? Oh, yeah. Last, last year, uh, Masvidal was a fill-in on six days' notice and took on Kamaru Usman and lost, but went all five rounds. This is the rematch that he's wanted because he says it's time for him to actually train for the fight. What's it, what's it on? You guys, you guys will remember this. We're on Radio Row, and two UFC fighters got into a verbal argument where they shoved each other, and everyone was around the, I don't know, I'd say everyone. 30 stations were witnessing this live on the air at the time, and I yep. told you guys this was staged for something down the road. This is it? These are the two guys that got into that altercation. This was 2019 on Radio Row. Is this another pay-per-view? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, pay-per-view, UFC 261. And a uh, great opportunity. Um, again, you make an initial deposit of at least $10, 30 to 1 odds on the fight. FanDuel.com slash OK360. 
to get those great odds. John McClain's coming up, but first, uh, LeBron James tweets and then deletes um, a picture of an officer who intervened in Columbus on someone wielding a knife um, um, against uh, another civilian and tweeted out a picture of the, uh, the officer, Nicholas Reardon, that said, you're next, in all caps, hashtag accountability. Um, and now LeBron, uh, in many circles, is being held accountable for pointing out this uh, on the officer that was helping someone in massive distress with a knife clearly visible upon video. Well, and this is one, I mean, if you're, if you're at OutKick and you're reading stories there, they're obviously OutKick covering a lot of this where people aren't covering it to that extent. But this is one ESPN front first story yep. is about LeBron tweeting this and deleting it. So uh, the typical protection of LeBron James not necessarily happening uh, with this story. He stepped in it on this one. I, I don't think there's any other way around it. And I think he made a bad situation worse by deleting it and then defending the tweet and talking about people that disagreed with him are just out for hate and causing hate. Um, I, I don't, here was the exact uh, tweet after he deleted the tweet. I'm so damn tired of seeing black people killed by police. I took the tweet down because it's being used to create more hate. This isn't about one officer. It's about the entire system and they always use our words to create more racism. I'm so desperate for more accountability. That's a lot of words where you should have just said, you know what, I was wrong on that one, I'm sorry. Because what LeBron James did was post the photo of a police officer in Columbus, Ohio, who saved a young woman's life. And in doing that, LeBron James has over 50 million Twitter followers. If 3% of his followers took that as gospel, in fact, that's 1.5 million people that think that this guy's a murderer. And now his photo's out there. And you said you're next with an hourglass, ticking clock, accountability. What if something were to happen to that guy? What if someone were to threaten him or his family after doing that? This is what should happen in this story. The Columbus Police Department and this guy should sue LeBron James. That will stop some of this because there will be a big settlement. There's going to be a big uh, response from LeBron where he's going to have to pay a settlement and apologize. And I think it would be pretty cool if he said, you know what, in lieu of paying me, give a $2 million donation to the Columbus Police Department or the Fraternal Order of Police at that point. Let's start to bridge this gap now without you attacking good cops in, in this thing. He says it's not about one guy, but he sent out a picture about one guy, yeah. of one guy. one guy. So he contradicts yeah. himself. LeBron James gets over overexcited and overzealous, and he doesn't self-edit, which is the crime of many people on social media. And when you have 50 million followers, you need to take a breath. And, uh, you know, the, the saying goes, don't press send. Well, if you have 50 million followers, you really need to contemplate what you're saying and measure it. And he tends not to do that often enough. Look, I understand he wants more accountability, and that's his cause. But if, if, you, if you hit send too quickly on, on that, you, you warp your cause. And if you warp your cause, you're not helping anything. You're making things worse. And that, that's what he's done here. And Greg Couch at Outkick.com wrote a great column, a fine columnist from Chicago, uh, about this story. We're going to have Greg on the show tomorrow uh, at 1220 Eastern, 1120 Central to discuss. But it's interesting from a business corporate sponsorship standpoint. And he basically argues that Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods decided not to get involved in anything politically. And, they, and in turn, they helped make millions for Nike and in return got millions from Nike. All neutral. Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, other activists at the time, they had huge consequences for fighting on behalf of what they wanted to fight for and what they were passionate for. And Greg is not, he, he says, look, I think LeBron's a smart guy. I think LeBron is a passionate guy about this. I think it's genuine where he's coming from. But the problem is when you step in it or when you do this, there needs to be some real consequences. Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown faced some real consequences in their time. Nike's been silent on this. Nike, in many respects, has gone to bat for LeBron quicker than this. They haven't said anything yet. The NBA hasn't said anything. And Greg is arguing that now is the time for the NBA and Nike to say something that 
shows that LeBron James is wrong in this because you can't have it both ways necessarily. You can be passionate, and he's not saying that while everything going on in China is awful, you can pick and choose your causes. He doesn't have to go on crusades about China. But when you don't say anything about China, and we know how Nike makes their shoes, that's also very uncomfortable. If you won't even criticize what's going on in China, won't even say one thing about it, you remain silent, that weakens your position even when you're passionate about other things. I just think it's an interesting case study on how Nike handles it, how the NBA handles this, because up to this point, LeBron James has had no real consequences for anything that he's said and done, and he's stepped in at this time to the point that everyone's talking about. Not just OutKick, you know, not just a website you would think would be criticizing him for it. Everyone is at least reporting this and treating it as a big story where LeBron really stepped in it on this one. So what does Nike do next? We'll talk to Greg Couch tomorrow on the show about his column, but I, I think it's fascinating. Coming up, we talk NFL Draft, the biggest headlines across the league. And we'll ask John McClain of the Houston Chronicle and Pro Football Hall of Fame selector. In all the mocks that he's been a, a part of so far at Cron.com, which surprising pick interests him the most? What, what is the most surprising pick among his mocks for the team and the player among this first round, which is just a week away? Finally, the NFL draft is just around the corner. John McClain is as well next on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. He has covered the league for more than four decades, and you can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. You see him on your screen now. You're about to hear him as you listen to the podcast. John, hope you're doing well. I couldn't be better, guys. How are you? We are great. The NFL draft a week from today, and that means your your NFL draft mock season uh, is, is nearly complete. How many mocks have you completed so far to this point? Uh, this year I've done fewer than ever. We used to start them before the combine. Didn't know squat till I got to the combine. And then no matter how many I did, I still couldn't get them right. So this <laughs> year I've done five. Next week, uh, the day before the draft, that'll be my last one and my official one. And I may only get two picks right. So what John is telling you is he is not nearly as accurate with the NFL draft as he is in picking the Super Bowl matchup because he normally nails, nails it. He does. John, let, let's let's start the draft discussion with this. It, we have never seen four quarterbacks selected consecutively to begin an NFL draft. We've seen three selected twice, and we'll see three selected again this year. Do what, what, what would you say the odds are we see for because of a team trading up to Atlanta's spot or the Falcons surprising some and selecting a QB? When you have a new general manager and a new head coach like the Falcons do with Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith, those guys like to get their quarterback. Also, Matt Ryan's 36. He's coming off a good season. They don't need offense like they need defense. So it wouldn't surprise me if they trade down. wouldn't surprise me if they took – Kyle Pitts, the second-rated prospect in the draft. But on the other hand, none of the quarterbacks after Trevor Lawrence is a slam dunk. Zach Wilson started one year. Mac Jones started one and a half years. Justin Fields started two. So you could take a guy there and plan on uh, keeping him on the bench and learning for a year or two or maybe one year. I believe Matt Ryan's salary cap figure was boosted up to 45 million in 2022 and they can't do that it'll have to be done again so i'm going to go ahead in every mock draft i've had them taking uh, four quarterbacks in the first four picks 1971 the top three worked out great jim plunkett at new england won two super bowls with the raiders arch manning became a legend in new orleans and dan pastorini with the Oilers helped them go to back-to-back -back AFC championship games after the 78-79 season. But the other time, in 99, Tim Couch was a bust with Cleveland, the third one, Achilles Smith, Cincinnati. He was awful, and only Donovan McNabb, number two, well, turned out to be really good. So as you guys know, in every draft, it's a crapshoot. You know, look back to the Titans in 2015 with Mariota behind Jameis Winston, and neither one of them are with the teams that drafted them. 
so many expect the Falcons to go tight in with Pitts um, instead of going with just the fourth quarterback. And I, I guess, John, based on your answer, let's start with pick number three because that sets up what Arthur Smith would want to do uh, and, and what their, their new regime would want to do, uh, better phrased. Do you think Shanahan goes with Mac Jones or Justin Fields? Here's what I think, Jonathan. Kyle Shanahan made that trade up into the third spot and paid dearly to get it. Right away, his old college teammate and close friend, Chris Sims, said that he was going to take Mac Jones. Everybody believed it. Now, I don't think for a minute Shanahan would tell Sims who he was going to take, and if he did, he wouldn't let him announce it to the world. So everybody immediately took Mac Jones, the fifth-rated quarterback, moved him up to number three. I just can't believe it's that cut and dried. I've got him taking Justin Fields or Trey Lance in my drafts. I'm not sure when my last one is, which one of those quarterbacks I'll take. But I'm not going to take Mac Jones. I could be wrong because almost everybody else says they are. But I just don't think it would be that cut and dried and Shanahan would let it out. He has final say. You know, everybody thinks he wants a quarterback. What if he took Kyle Pitts, who's the best position player in this draft? Not really a tight end, just a big wide receiver who plays all over the place. But So I'm going to have them taking, I think, probably Justin Fields with the third pick. Cincinnati in prime position at number five to help Joe Burrow. Uh, for a long time, I think the presumption was Sewell, uh, an offensive lineman who could keep Burrow upright. Jamar Chase, the other option there, uh, worked together at LSU, pass catcher, weapon. But, uh, you know, my, my thinking is he can't get it to a weapon if he's not upright. Uh, they drafted Williams a year ago. Sewell would be nice bookends there to start to build a foundation where Joe Burrow can, can be confident he's not going to get decked. Um, and then there are weapons to be had later in this draft. Where are you leaning for the Bengals? I've been all over the place, back and forth, with Sewell, with uh, Panay Sewell from Oregon, with Kyle Pitts from Florida, and with Jamar Chase from LSU. This is the first draft position that we're going to see if teams held it against players who opted out. Sewell opted out. Chase opted out. Pitts played last season. He played great. He upped his stock. I'm wondering if the team has players close together, if they're going to want to take the one they've seen in action the most recently. That would mean the Bengals would not take Sewell and they would not take Chase. They've got good receivers on that team. I don't think they need receivers, so I'm going to go with them taking Sewell and locking down left tackle for a long time. Burrow got hurt last year, blew out his knee. And that's a good example. They want to do everything they can to protect him because you can get receivers in other rounds. And even though Chase is a great prospect, Kyle Pitts is a generational prospect, you can get good receivers in other rounds. So I'm going for the offensive tackle right here. So, John, what do you think about the Denver Broncos? Uh, currently at number nine, a quarterback needy team. But not just what they're going to do in this draft, but the inability of John Elway to find a quarterback other than Peyton Manning choosing the Broncos, and really not just John Elway picking a quarterback, but since John Elway was the quarterback, outside of Jake Plummer for a few years, outside of early Jay Cutler, it's been a big issue for the Broncos. Well, you don't like Brock Osweiler, Chad? <laughs> or Paxton uh, Lynch, John, not, not the biggest fan. Second, both of those second-round second picks. The Broncos were one of the teams that was seriously interested in Deshaun Watson. I mean, really interested in Deshaun Watson. So I've had them taking the fifth quarterback in my mock drafts. I have them staying at number nine. Once Carolina got Sam Darnold, uh, I have them going with the fifth quarterback. Sometimes it's been Trey Lance. Other times it's been Mac Jones. But I know they're not happy with Drew Locke as their starter, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't trade up. Now, Vic Fangio is a coach on the seat. He's a defensive coordinator, so he might not be there in another year. And one of the reasons they brought in George Payton from uh, Minnesota as the new GM in Elway stepped aside for a cushy front office position is they've done a really good job of drafting with the Vikings. And so I just think they want a quarterback, and they're going to find a way to get one. 
John McLean with us on Outkick 360. John, is the assumption that Indianapolis is is going with offensive line help for Wentz? Everybody thinks they need a left tackle because the stands are retired. They don't have anybody there. Maybe they moved Brain Smith from right to left tackle when he came out. Everybody thought he would be a good left tackle eventually, but he is entrenched on the right side, so I'm not sure what they're going to do. Devin Jenkins of uh, Oklahoma State's a guy I've got going to them in most of my mock drafts, and I feel pretty confident. If indeed Chris Ballard, the GM, wants to fill that weakness when he picks, I think Jenkins is going to be the best tackle on the board. John, uh, it's not just Devontae Smith at 166. There are a lot of little receivers. Four out of Dane Brugler's top 20 or under 180. You think the league is increasingly finding room for little guys who maybe aren't, you know, traditional uh, lineup for regular number of snaps, but have to creatively find ways to use them guys? Or, or you think alarm bells are going off in draft rooms with these guys who are marked down because you're concerned with them getting hurt? I'd like to see how many players under 190 have taken direct shots that have injured them. I don't remember many. You know, Deshaun Jackson's been hurt, but I don't think it's had anything to do with he weighs 178. All I know about Devontae Smith, same as you guys, every time he looked up, he was making a great catch. Not perfectly thrown balls, but where he was running great routes, making great catches, and then doing a tremendous job once he got the ball. You know, it's going to be fun. Jalen Waddell, or Devontae Smith. Waddle's not six feet, but people think about him big, big. This reminds me of the 1980s, the late 80s, when teams started going to four wides. Uh, the Oilers played the run and shoot, and they had little guys in the slot, bigger guys on the outside because the little guys on the slot were quicker and seemed to be tougher to catch in traffic. And these little guys now are playing all over the place, but I don't think size is going to keep Smith from being drafted in the top 10. And of course, he's a Tremendous prospect. John, Chad mentioned Denver as as a quarterback-needy team. How many quarterback-needy teams are there for the potential to trade up? Would you put Washington in that category? And if, if, if one of these quarterbacks, whether it's Mac Jones, Trey Lance, someone else, were to fall past pick 10 or pick 12, could we see them last a, a, a decent while based on the needs of all the teams and how things are slotted right now? I believe that if a quarterback like Trey Lance or Mac Jones got down to 10, there'd be a feeding friends like Sharks to Chum. I think Washington, New England at 15, 49ers are no longer at 12. They were there. They're up three. But I think any team that needed a quarterback from that point would jump up to get him because all those guys are supposed to be top 10 prospect. And I'm guessing right now, based on history, what we've seen with other quarterbacks, I'm guessing that uh, the odds are that maybe two of those five will actually make it and stick with teams. I'm, I'm writing for tomorrow a quarterback uh, column, and it's it's so interesting. Since Peyton Manning was taken, they've never gone in 98. The NFL's never gone more than two years without taking a quarterback first overall. They'll do it again this year, of course, with Trevor Lawrence, and there was a time I went back to the 1960 drafts and you moved forward, there was one year where they went seven in a row without taking a quarterback first overall, another time six, but once we got up to the late 90s, everybody was jumping on quarterbacks because um, they just put more emphasis on the passing game. Back before they relaxed the rules in 1978, the quarterbacks weren't as important because they didn't throw the ball all the time. Saw running backs being drafted high because in linemen because they ran the ball so much. But in this era of passing games and a lot of offense and prolific offenses, you got to get your quarterback. And if it doesn't work one year, hey, two, three, four years later, you try again. Curious, curious to get your theory on this. That there's so much uncertainty. We we know there's five top quarterbacks, uh, first round discussion, right, and top ten discussion, but. Yeah. We, we've seen a lot already in, in, in the trade demand and the trade market, the reports that Denver is, is calling Atlanta. 
Are you surprised that teams are doing all the pre-draft trading, not knowing which quarterback is available on the board at the selection? I think overall, there's only one can't miss prospect in this draft. That's Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson started one year. You know, these guys don't have a lot of starting experience. One of the reasons I'm like Kellen Mond at Texas A&M, not first round, of course, he started 47 games. He played in two systems, two head coaches, different quarterback coaches. Really smart when it comes to decisions. Kellen Mond, Davis Mills, Jimmy Newman, and Kyle Trask were in that second tier of quarterbacks. And I think the Texans, for instance, don't have first and second round picks. They need another quarterback. And I'm just saying they could take a quarterback with a 67th overall pick if it needed somebody that the general manager, Nick Casario, really likes. And it's going to be interesting five years to now to see how many of these guys from the second tier compared to the top guys that will go in the top ten, including possibly four in a row. So that thing makes this draft so intriguing to see if we could make history with four quarterbacks going right off the bat or for the third time in history, three going right off the bat. Well, the draft is exciting for that reason, John. It's got to be excruciating for the Houston Texans because they're in this weird limbo where they don't really know. There's a lot of holes to fill, but they don't exactly know what's going on at quarterback long term. So it puts them in a very awkward position going into this draft. Where are the Texans heading into this draft and and what the plan is moving forward? They have eight picks starting third round. Last time they didn't have first two picks, they took safety Justin Reed, tight end Jordan Akins, and a, and, a, and a tackle Martinez Rankin in the third round. Rankin was traded to Kansas City for Carlos Hyde, who had the best season of his career in 2019 when he went 10-6, won the division at a playoff game, and Bill O'Brien didn't resign him. And uh, so this, unfortunately for them, this will be the third time in four years they haven't had their first-round pick because of trades Bill O'Brien made. But I did a story this week of all the good players in Texans history taking third round down. And then I looked at New England in the 13 years Nick Serio was the personnel director. And he didn't make the final choice. That was Bill Belichick. But he was Belichick's right-hand man. And they drafted a lot of players from the third round down who contributed to Super Bowl teams. But this is the first time Serial's ever been in charge. When you make trades and sign free agents, right now they have 38 new players on the roster. You talk about a team that needs an off-season program just for introductions, and then they're going to have more with draft choices, undrafted free agents, and there's a lot of veterans still out there they are going to have to sign for the minimum to get a chance to play this season. So, counting players he's let go, he's had 70 roster moves he's made since he's become the general manager. So you got to get him an A for effort. But as far as what it does on the field, I expect him to contend for the top pick in the draft to be the worst team in the AFC South and let the Titans and Colts fight it out again uh, for uh, first place in a wild card berth. John, there's been something I've been wanting to ask you ever since this story broke. Bill O'Brien to Alabama as offensive coordinator. Do you see this as a one-and-done situation where he's going to go have a ton of success get another opportunity in the NFL, or is this more of a, of a long-term thing for Bill O'Brien? No, I think Bill O'Brien be back in the NFL. When he was at Penn State, he wanted to come to, back to the NFL after being with the Patriots for five years. And people here, because they didn't like him enough, they seemed to forget he won four division titles five years, two playoff games, took a 2-14 team the first year to 9-7, and seven, and they don't want to see that. And so I think he'll get another choice because he's just not going to be the general manager. You know, you don't want him in control of the roster. But, man, uh, heaven help the general manager who's working with Bill O'Brien and trying to tell him what they're going to do. John, you mentioned uh, the, the, the need for introductions for the, for the Texans at the offseason program. Um, it seems like two-thirds of the teams in the league have issued their statement about not being around for the voluntary part of, uh, of the offseason based on uh, disagreement about the COVID regulations and, and kind of asserting some muscle in terms of uh, their, their one bit of leverage against uh, ownership and management. Uh, it got away with it last year. It didn't affect the, the level of play with no preseason games either, really out of the gate. Second time around, uh, what kind of bearing do you think it's going to have on the league? Absolutely nothing. 
because last year when teams didn't make the playoffs, I don't remember any of them saying, man, if we'd just been able to have an old, some OTAs and, and off-season program, we would have made the playoffs. But by the time you get to the season, nobody thinks about phase one, phase two, and phase three. And I'll buy, I buy, I don't buy the COVID issue at all. I think what you said about flexing their muscles a little bit, it's much more about that because there's no place safer for NFL players than being at their facilities with all those COVID-19 protocols still in place. Plus, they'll give vaccinations to them and their families, and then they get tested. If you don't want to do the vaccinations, they got tests, and you can get the results back in an hour. And so there's a lot of teams that have a lot of players in phase one, which is four weeks of just working out in the weight room, doing your conditioning, virtual meetings for up to two hours a day. And so uh, it's the second phase, which starts on May 17th. That's the key because that's when players actually go on the field for walkthroughs with their coaches. So that's when I see a lot of players staying away. But, man, I feel bad for guys trying to make the team because, say, say you guys – or trying to make a team, and Jonathan reported and did everything the team wanted him to do, and you guys opted out. You all played linebacker, and it got to the end of the se- end of the off season, and they're cutting back to fifty three, and it's close. Paul and Chad, you're getting cut. Well, they do have that three day mandatory minicamp where guys are are showing up unless they're spending money. And the three preseason games. So they can wash away those 10 OTAs and the voluntary time with that as opposed to last year. So even on the contractual stuff, I think there's more room for the younger guys to cut away at the veterans uh, than maybe we're given credit for. Young means cheap. There's 230 players that have workout bonuses. Texans have five players. One of them, Brandon Cooks, their leading receiver, has a $500,000 workout. Titans have zero. Yeah, the union doesn't care. They want players to make the money. They've told you, if you got workout bonuses, go go on in. And uh, so I think there's not going to be any bad blood. It's not like this is a strike. You know, guys are going to do it. Just like some guys are going to work out harder than others when they're at home or on their own. And the good teams, they know how to adjust and do everything right and win, and the bad teams never figure it out. And I think that's the way it'll be again this season. Are they keeping the 16-man practice squad, John? Uh, for all, for everything I've heard, they are so far, but they may not because but with the vaccinations and more and more people getting both of them and, and knowing more about it now than they did last year, wouldn't surprise me if they don't cut it back. But to me, it's better to be safe than sorry. Do it one more year because you never know when there's going to be an outbreak. I just read this morning, India – has a bigger outbreak now than it's ever had. Could that be coming to the States? Well, and it also, with, with the, the off season and, and the comments about, and I agree, where you have the veteran that is more secure because the rookie didn't get in and get the practice reps to take over his job. I thought teams did a, it, teams took advantage of the rule where you have four veterans, uh, vested veterans on your practice squad and the rotation to the active roster, but it also allows you to practice with those undrafted players a bit longer and rotate guys in and off your roster. I don't think they rotated the young guys enough through the league last year. And, and a lot of that was COVID testing, I'm sure, and the fear of it. But if they if they open it up to 16 again this year, if I'm a GM, I'm picking all kinds of players off of different rosters once the season begins. Sure. I think it was very wise last year to let them have those veterans. The union liked it because it gave more veterans jobs. And plus, it made it better. If you got, I know the Texans had guys on the practice squad who've been starters. And so if they had to elevate them, they could. And I think it's much better to have some veterans on there instead of untested rookies, especially when they have to step in and play, especially near the end of the season when you're getting down playoff, uh, determining playoff team. John, I don't know if you saw, uh, maybe you did. I'm sure you, the way you scan Twitter, you, you likely – have seen this. A.J. Brown thought about asking Warren Moon for number one uh, and then looked up the history of Warren Moon and why his number is retired and then tweeted Warren Moon and said, I considered asking you to wear the single digit and then I read your bio and figured out I was not worthy to even ask. How about that from A.J. Brown? Asking if he has Warren 
Warren would probably say, wear it. I don't think Warren's ego is so big where he'd say, no, no, a thousand times no. You've seen other players with other teams who had jerseys retired. Say, yes, do it. Wear it with pride. <clears throat> the thing about these single digits, it costs a lot of money. A.J. Brown has a lot of, of his current uniform in warehouses. And so if you're changing numbers, you've got to buy out those old jerseys in order to get a new jersey. For this year. Yeah, which, for one year, which is a lot of money, which is funny because if the league makes a change, <laughs> uh, they don't have to buy anything. Else. So I, I don't think we're going to see the level of number changes for prime guys that people anticipate. Until next year. Yeah. But, but uh, a scrub can change like that, and there's no, nothing in the warehouse. It doesn't matter. I think that is preposterous that the league is not paying for it. Well, changing the rule and not changing that part of the part rule. Part of the rule, the financial element of weird. the uniforms and stock. Yeah. John, thank you as always uh, for the time. We love having you on the show. It's always great to see you as well through the video stream. And uh, we look forward to our future chats. I did promote uh, on Twitter that I was going to ask you this. Do you want to disclose your band name at this time? Uh, no, but the next time I'm on with you guys, I would like to disclose a, a, an event. I'm coming to Nashville to co-host with Jeff Fisher to raise money for Mike Hammerdinger Foundation that you guys are very oh, familiar with. Great. Excellent. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. That's on June the 12th, and I can't wait. Hope to see you guys there, and thank you very much as always. Let us know how we can help. Much more about it, and John, I will say that I feel even closer to you now that we do get to see you every week, and not just hear you and talk to you on the phone. So it's great to see your smiling face every week. I put on a collared shirt now that I'm (laughs) on with you guys. That's great. Thank you. Big occasion. I know. Thank you for joining us on Outkick, John McClain. We request no shirt next week. (laughs) Yes, that's our one request. That's Lance Lee's one request. Is John McClain shirtless? shirtless. Well, then we may may see the tattoo of his band name. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he can put a band name. What a reveal that would be. (laughs) Hey, you guys want to know the band name? And he just stands and turns around. It's tattooed on my chest. It's across his left shoulder blade (laughs) on the back. Chad, here's the thing. It's in Chinese. (laughs) It's in Sanskrit. Yeah. What if a a translator would come uh, and reveal everything? The mental image now of John McClain with a chest tat. Oh, John's got a tramp stamp in Sanskrit (laughs) that means dreamer (laughs) on his lower back. That's the next big reveal. So when when I worked for the the New York Times Washington Bureau as a clerk, there was a a crazy, (laughs) crazy administrative assistant to uh, R.W. Apple, a famous, famous journalist. Who, he, was on, he was a character in Boys on the Bus, the famous book it, it about... It sounds made up. No. <laughs> He's a famous, famous character in Boys on the Bus, which was about uh, all, all the political reporters. About Lawan and Compton. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, they were covering the campaign. Maybe the Nixon campaign. Okay. And they made a rule that uh, every time you had a complaint about so-and-so, you had to come in. Uh, maybe it was... Uh, you had to come in and throw money in the pot. Maybe it was a complaint about each other. Oh. Or maybe it was a complaint about him. And the pot would be. And so but somebody would come in. It was $5 or whatever. Yeah. And somebody came in and threw like 20 on the table. Like, <laughs> I, I got, his nickname was Johnny. Now, I, I got a lot to say about Johnny. They threw 20 bucks on the thing. Anyway, she was kind of a loon. But when I left, <laughs> uh, uh, I was there for 18 months before I got my break to cover the Raiders at the Oakland Tribune. She was kind of a loon. And on the day I left, she gave me this little painting. It was about this tall and this wide. And it it was a single Chinese character. (laughs) And she said it it meant centered heart, which she thought I had a centered heart with my my drive to be uh, a sports writer. And this woman met you. Yes. She knew you. Yeah. Okay. And I, I thought, I thought, well, I did have a centered heart in terms of my my career your, drive. Your drive. My career I drive. I really hope this means something else. Well, I was actually touched by the sentiment, <laughs> as much of a loon as she was, and so all my my fellow clerks. This is the gift of a loon, by the way. Right. Oh yeah. So all of my fellow clerks were like. Uh, you got to put this directly in the garbage can. <laughs> from, keep this from this woman, and I was like, kind of touched by it, <laughs> and so I kept it, and it's hanging in our in our walk-in closet. <laughs> it's gonna hang behind you on the set now. You do realize? Have you that, ever right? confirmed what it means? 
No, I'll take oh. a picture of it and we'll no, send it out. It's hanging tomorrow <laughs> behind me. <laughs> She's not. I mean, we have why to would she give video? me something? That, that, the only reason it would be an error is because her Chinese was poor, we have I mean, not because in. she was scamming. Do Paul, not there, there are some people that believe that Taylor Swift was shopping at Target you know, yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there, there, why would she give that to you? As, uh, there, are, there are some people not that will prank you. She anything. was not pranking me. She's, She's a nice loser. old woman. She was crazy, but she was a nice old woman. I mean, she had the best of intentions. So... I thought I was getting pranked when I saw the introductory sure press conference the of a head coach. Oh. We're going to let you see and hear this press When we came here, we, we said, we want to have moments where we can pause video and break it down <laughs> line by line. Those moments are like this moment coming up. Outkick 360 rolls on. It is Outkick 360 across the OutKick network, alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Uh, today in 2004 uh, was the day that Pat Tillman was killed while serving his country. We will have Coach Dave McGinnis, who drafted him with the Arizona Cardinals, join us today at 1240 Central, 140 Eastern, uh, to tell some legendary stories about one of the best ever. Uh, that's coming up in about an hour from now. It will be appointment listening and viewing. That is coming up on Outkick 360. Speaking of coaches, though, I doubt Coach Mack ever gave a pregame speech or a hype speech when he took the job, much like this. No, so this is, uh, and big thanks to season ticket holder Will Conway, who brought this to Thank our you, attention job, on Twitter Will. and actually sent the video of it also. This is the introductory press conference of Jace Coburn, the new head men's basketball coach of the Portland State Vikings. I'm ready to play and for And it caught our attention. This, this is hoop. is what Jace, Portland State men's basketball, I'll okay. say it again, Paul. Portland State men's basketball head coach Jace Coburn, here was his introductory press conference. Just a snippet of it. The other thing is, is I'm hungry and passionate. I don't eat breakfast in the morning so I can come to work hungry. <laughs> so when I get to lunch, I'm hungry, and that's just the kind of person I am. I know my 2003 Chevy Tahoe's got a lot of play this week so far, but like, it doesn't have AC, and it doesn't have heat. And the reason I do that is so I can practice my mental toughness during the winter when it's cold, and I can practice my mental toughness during the, the summer when it's hot. That's the type of person I am. That yep. is Jace Coburn, this guy. a man who drives a 2003 Chevy Tahoe, uh, who practices mental toughness by not having heat or air in that Chevy Tahoe, and who skips breakfast because he wants to be hungry at lunch. I've got some proposals. I mean, you could skip lunch so that you're even more hungry at dinner. You could skip the Tahoe. <laughs> you could skip the Tahoe and walk. And then you're really testing the elements and... You're more tired and more hungry at lunch. I, I want. 15, you could go on and on. I want 15 more minutes of Coach Coburn telling us other things he does to test his mental toughness. I do not have indoor plumbing. I have an outhouse. I do that on purpose. Far to away test. from my home. I have to run to this outhouse out of my home to test my mental toughness. I eat beans for every meal to test the outhouse. I write on an actual typewriter and not a computer to test my mental toughness. I use fountain pens to I, test my ability to fill the fountain pen and write like uh, days of old. The list could go on and on with Coach Coburn and uh, how he tests his mental toughness. Jakob, your thoughts? I, I also think he's just one step away from Chris Farley's sketch <laughs> and, of living in the van down by the river. Right. He's very motivational. Um, you kids think life is easy? <laughs> wait until you're divorced in a 2003 Chevy Tahoe <laughs> with no damn heat and air. And then I'll tell you how tough life you know, gets. When I hear this, I think we need a monitor. And I, I want to play it one more time. When you listen to this, imagine being a player. And this, the other guy, thing just, is this guy just takes over as your coach at Portland State. And think of the miserable feeling <laughs> that you like, have damn, I, knowing that your life just got a lot tougher. I thought we were going to have but, air in these meetings. Because <laughs> nothing's going to improve. No pregame milk. Because he wants to make sure that you appreciate what you have. The other thing is, is I'm hungry and passionate. <laughs> I don't eat breakfast in the morning so I can come to work hungry. So when I get to lunch, I'm hungry. And that's just the kind of person I am. I know my 2003 Chevy Tahoe's got a lot of play this week so far, 
But like, it doesn't have AC and it doesn't have heat. And the reason I do that is so I can practice my mental toughness during the winter when it's cold and I can practice my mental toughness during the, the summer when it's hot. That's the type of person I am. There's going to be some freezing gyms. Like, if he's, a, if he's the head coach at Vandy, he wants no upgrades. Yeah, that's what he's, uh, I'm thinking perfect. he's an AD's dream. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, AD comes by like, coach, we don't have enough do money for another, a separate meal plan. He's like, like that's God. great. I don't eat yeah. breakfast anyways. Yeah. Oh, we're yeah. not going to have the car deal the previous coach had. That's great. I'm yeah. fine in my 2003 Chevy Tahoe. <laughs> coach, what is it that you need? Oh, nothing. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, yeah. terrific. That's great I don't need a roof. Budget. We'll practice in the rain. It's Portland. It rains all the time. Oh, we got to test mental toughness. That Tahoe, Tahoe doesn't have windshield wipers, which no. is a problem in Portland. He's, he's going to walk a lot to work there. now. Though Harold Reynolds would tell you, it doesn't, <laughs> if it rains hard, that means it's going to stop any second. Did we get my art, uh, Jacob? I just want to show everyone. This is, in fact, my wife. Uh, I asked her if she Thank had Thank you, Teresa. It, and Teresa came through. She yes. not only sent me the front, she sent me the back. I won't show you the back now. But here, in fact, is the piece of art hanging. Isn't it beautiful? This is Sacred Heart? No, Centered Heart. Centered Heart. Sorry, it's not Sacred Heart. <laughs> We've sent it out to oh, Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart is a school. <laughs> sacred Heart, yeah. Sacred Heart. Uh, I've sent this out to um, both my account and uh, the Outkick 360 account, and our Chinese uh, listeners and viewers are not responding currently. What no we, response. What do we think this actually means? I think it means Centered Heart. There's no reason for this woman to scam me. She was a nice old lady. She was a kook, but she was a nice old lady. It's sincere. Mandarin for loser, I believe, is what it is, actually. <laughs> what do you guys think? There's, there's no reason this woman would have scammed. I think that Jacob's going to, that's going to be Jacob, his next band know? name. It's just that Chinese character. It's going to be like Prince. It's hard to get with people an unpronounceable symbol. It's just that character. Well, but see, this name. is where Paul has done uh, the opposite view of what he would currently do. Like, if Chad or I talked to a loon or thought that someone had a, you know, was actually a good person, even though they were crazy, I, Paul's response immediately, Get, stop wasting your time with this person. Uh, they're loony. They're, uh, they're batty. But it's fine for Paul. But, well, I'm saying but she Paul was loony has a, and Paul batty. Paul has a painting uh, this was... hanging in his walk-in closet. Of a self-admitted loon. I'm saying despite her lunacy, she had this moment of sincerity that in these 18 months where I couldn't stand her, she somehow still saw me for what I am. And it was a beautiful thing. Uh, Dwayne G on Twitter, by the way, types in, uh, chimes I in on the coach not eating breakfast and says he just doesn't eat breakfast because he's intermittent fasting like Paul right now. I've stopped Could intermittent fasting, it. but it was good for me when I did it. Now I have the protein shake instead. Yeah. Big breakfast of a protein. In my Very motivated. Heart. In my centered heart. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, the Tennessee Power Hour on Outkick 360. Hang with us.